You're listening to podcast audio from Radiant Church, located in Bay City, Michigan. For more information on Radiant Church, you can check us out on www.radiantbc.com or follow us on social media at Radiant Bay City. Well, hey, good Sunday morning to your Radiant Church. So glad that you decided to worship with us. And if you are new, hey, we especially Welcome you, and we're honored that you would decide to spend some time with us in your weekend. Well, hey, happy Super Bowl Sunday for those of you who are football fans, and go Matthew Stafford, right? Wow. And um, we had him for 12 years. I digress, right? (laughs) Anyways, hope you have a great night this evening. Stay safe and have a blast. Well, today we are in part number nine of our message series in the book of Acts that we have entitled The Spirit-Empowered Church. The Spirit-Empowered Church. And this is the life, this is really the life and the account of the early church, the first church, those first apostles and disciples that gathered together to worship in the name of Jesus. And I know I said this a while ago, but it's actually been a few months. I have three prayers for all of us as we go through this series. My first prayer request is that collectively, all of us together, that we would see the need of the Holy Spirit in our lives, amen, church? That we would see and realize that we need the Holy Spirit's empowerment. In fact, we need him more today than ever in the midst of this sort of tumultuous world that we live in. My second prayer request is this, is that all of us together collectively would find solidarity with the first church, right? 2,000 years of church history, and I know it's complicated at times, it's often messy, but I pray that we would see ourselves as being a part of something much bigger than just us here in Bay City on a Sunday morning. Finally, my third prayer request is this, is that we would learn how to endure like the early church did. Amen, church? That we would endure, again, this hostile culture towards Christianity, this kind of crazy life and world that we find ourselves in, that we would not grow weary of doing good, that we would endure in our Lord and Savior. Last week, if you were with us, we talked about the story of Ananias and Sapphira. Anybody get something from that message last week, right? Woo, a couple of people, yeah. It's encouraging for the pastor. All right. And so, <laughs> and so Ananias and Sapphira, they experienced divine judgment, right? And they had lied, not just to Peter, but listen, to the Holy Spirit, to ultimately God. And what? This is the way we see Satan infiltrate the church. Through how? Through little white lies. When you lie to someone, here's what you're doing you're inviting the presence of the demonic in your life, okay? You might not realize this, but that's what you're doing. When you lie to friends and family, when you lie to your spouse, when you lie to your church family, you are, you are welcoming the presence of the demonic in your life. And that's what we see. These, this couple, Ananias and Sapphira, lie to God, and of course, they experience judgment on that day. Now, this morning, Here's what we're gonna do. I'm gonna just go into prayer right away, and then we're gonna go to Acts chapter five. We're gonna pick things up 
uh, where we were at, or I'll, I'll, I'll begin there in, in momentarily anyways. We'll pick things up in Acts chapter 5, so I'll pray, and then we'll get into the rest of our message. Heavenly Father, we love you, and we thank you for this morning. And God, we just, um, we're so grateful for your presence here this morning, God. Um, we're so grateful that we have this opportunity and blessing to be together with other brothers and sisters to worship, to encourage one another, to learn the word of God. Um, Lord, we're so blessed. And God, would you just continue working in our lives, working um, in our midst on this day? Lord, we just take a, a moment to remember specifically brothers and sisters in the Ukraine today, God, and the church there. And Lord, we know that it's a very tumultuous time there. Um, God, would you just intervene right now? Um, we, we know at any moment there could be war that breaks out. Would you intervene, God? Would you intervene with these world leaders, God? And would the Prince of Peace come and bring peace where there needs to be peace, God? And so, God, we ask for your divine hand in worldly matters as well, God, that you would bring peace like no one else can. God, today, would you open up blind eyes, unlock deaf ears, soften hardened hearts, God? Whoever's got a hard heart, maybe because life is just tough, God, would you soften it and draw that person near to you? We pray this in the mighty name of Jesus, amen. Well, almost all practicing Christians believe that a major part of their faith is being a good witness for Jesus Christ. Almost all people of faith believe that the best thing that could happen to friends and family is for them to meet Jesus and truly have their lives transformed. Most of us in this room, if you're not, I'll show it to you in a moment, we're familiar with the words of Jesus in Matthew chapter 28, 19 and 20. Here's the words of Jesus. He says this, therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. Surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Now, we know this not as the great suggestion, okay? But we know this as the what? The great commission, right? The great commission. Now, this is, if, if this is ambiguous at all to you, Mark's gospel puts it even very, very much more clearly, even more explicitly. Jesus actually says this. He says, go into all the earth and preach the gospel to every creature. This is our mandate, right? It's our mandate that we're supposed to preach the gospel to every creature, all nations, all people. God loves all people, every ethnicity, right? All the world. And so we're supposed to preach the gospel to all nations that they might come to know Jesus, right? But if we're honest this morning, if I were to ask you this morning, when was the last time that you shared your faith? And I'm not talking about your TikTok stories either, okay? When was the last time you had a personal conversation with someone who had a different belief system from you than Jesus? When was the last time you talked about your faith? Now, my guess is, is that many of us, if not all of us, would say, yeah, about that. I, I don't remember that. Maybe you might say, well, it was a few years ago. Or maybe for some of you, it was just a few weeks ago. I don't know, right? 
But my guess is that most of us, listen, if I were to ask you, hey, when is the last time you led someone to Christ? You would say, hmm, yeah, let's change the subject, right? Now, I'm not sure why this is not happening, but the truth is is that Christians are not sharing their faith as much as they used to. Now, my guess, again, is that the underlying issue or condition for many of us, let's just say for all of us, is the issue of fear. It's fear. Fear of rejection, because no one wants to be rejected, right? Fear of what others might think of you, or fear of what others might say of you or speak of you. We have this fear, perhaps, okay? Now, this is not a message of condemnation, so don't, don't worry about that. So just ease up on me for a moment here. When we look at the early church, though, while we ourselves, and this is just true of all Christianity right now, we may be hesitant to share our faith. When we look at the early church, it was actually on the very opposite end of the spectrum. They were willing to share their faith. In fact, they were willing to boldly obey God and display their faith in what I would call radical boldness. There's simply no other way for me to describe it. In fact, we, we're, not, we're not accustomed to this type of boldness, at least not in our nation. Now, for our brothers in Afghanistan or North Korea or China, it's probably different for them. But we don't know of this boldness not as much anyways as the rest of the world. Today, here's what I want to do. We're going to look at the rest of Acts chapter 5. And we're going to talk about, and this message is for me as well, okay? Not exempt. It's for all of us. We're going to talk about, I want to show you three ways in which the apostles live out their faith with radical boldness. Not only that, here's my, here's my thesis. Here's my, my hypothesis. Here's what I believe. I believe that God is asking us to do the very same thing today, to live our faith out with radical boldness, okay? And it's only going to come through the power of the Holy Spirit, okay? So buckle up. It'll be a little bit of a bumpy ride, but we'll land that plane, and you got chilies waiting for you afterwards, okay? Or Applebee's, whatever you prefer, all right? Let's dive in. Acts chapter 5, beginning in verse 12 through 14. Here's what it says. The apostles performed many signs and wonders among the people, and all the believers used to meet together in Solomon's colonnade. No one else dared join them, even though they were highly regarded by the people. Nevertheless, more and more men and women believed in the Lord and were added to their number. Let's stop there for just a few moments. I want to just talk about this for a, 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 a few brief seconds. Luke tells us that there are signs and wonders, okay? So they're healing people of sickness and disease, and they're also casting out demons or curing people who were oppressed by demons. Can I just tell you that's a real thing today as well? Okay, that hasn't gone away. Darkness has not sort of gone away. Oh, that was in ancient times. No, no, no. That is very real today, Okay. So, uh, Luke also tells us that they were uh, in Solomon's colonnade. That's also called Solomon's porch or Solomon's portico. Now, that is um, located on the east side of Herod's temple. And what Solomon's colonnade is, is essentially it's two rows of these giant columns made out of marble, just 
beautiful. Scholars say that they measured up to 38 feet high. And this is where the early church would gather, and the, and the apostles would do miracles there, and they would teach about the way of Jesus. I love what Luke adds in verse number 13. He says, no one dared join them. <laughs> why? Well, what's up? What's going on here? Here's the, why no one, here's the reason why no one dared join them. Ananias and Sapphira, okay? They heard about the story, and they were like, whoa. And so they knew if they weren't quite ready to make that commitment to Jesus and make that commitment to the church, they were like, I'm just going to take a few steps back here, right? I went to that church before. Uh-uh. We sang that one song on the goodness of God, and five people dropped dead. I'm watching online from now on. Uh-uh. Ain't going back there, right? watching online. And so this is, this is the early church, but I love it because these people had a respect, uh, a commitment. They knew that following Jesus required a commitment. If only I could put that somehow in our church membership class, right? Man, if I could just somehow instill that today, I would, okay? I love also that Luke says this. He says, both men and women became Christians. This is important. Men and, who else? Women, this is a big deal, because why? Because in that time in first century, listen, women had very, very little rights. In fact, women were seen less valuable than men. But did you know that in Acts, Luke writes about women in this book at least a dozen times, because why? Because Luke is trying to show us, listen, that women played an important role in the apostolic church. Can I get an amen for my women in the house? Yeah, they played an important role. I love this because, listen, because before that time, listen, women were not given any value or worth, but Jesus, come on, changes everything. Yeah, he changes everything. A couple golf claps, I appreciate that. So let's continue in our story. So they're bringing all these sick people to the apostles because they're healing them, people who have demon oppression, who um, just all kinds of issues, and they're healing them. Now the church is gaining all types of momentum. It's growing and growing and growing, and it's exciting time. But the Jewish ruling council of that day, they are, like, they're furious. They do not like this at all, and so they want to shut it down. So notice with me, let's skip over to um, verse number 17, if you have a Bible with you. If you don't, we'll have the verse here. It says this, then the high priest and all his associates who were members of the party of the Sadducees, remember, this is like a ruling Council. This is like um, the Supreme Court of the Jews in that day in some sense. They were filled with jealousy. Quick note on that. That's an interesting phrase, by the way, because in the book of Acts, repeatedly what we see is this phrase that says, filled with the Spirit. I think Luke is actually trying to draw a direct contrast with filled with what? Jealousy. One is filled with God's Spirit, and the other one is what? Filled with the Spirit of this age. Filled with jealousy. They arrested the apostles. They put them in the public jail. But during the night, this is amazing, supernatural stuff, you guys. During the night, an angel of the Lord opened the doors of the jail and brought them out. He said this, go stand in the temple courts. He said, and tell the people all about this new life, right? Life with Jesus. At daybreak, 
They enter the temple courts, back in Herod's temple, elaborate, beautiful temple. Remember, Herod had rebuilt Solomon's temple. Solomon's temple was destroyed. Herod was a show-off. He rebuilt the temple, okay? Very, very uh, beautiful temple. Of course, we know it was the 80s, 60. That temple was destroyed. It's no longer there, of course. But he rebuilt it, very elaborate. So they're here in the temple, in the courts. They had been told, and they began to teach the people. So the first way that we see these early apostles live out their faith with radical boldness is this. They lived with a deep conviction for the things of God. They lived with a deep conviction for the things of God. What is a conviction? I'm so glad you asked. A conviction, listen, is a fixed or firmly held belief. That's what a conviction is, right? A conviction is a, is a fixed or firmly held belief. Now check this out. Shortly after being released from jail, these apostles knew, they knew that they were going to be what? <laughs> I mean, they knew the consequences. They could be killed. They could be stoned. They could be thrown back into jail. But what, what do they do? They heed the words of the angel. They take it with seriousness, and they go right back to the temple courts, and they talk about Jesus. That is what? Conviction. That's conviction, folks, right? Notice what Paul writes to the church in Thessalonica. He says this, 1 Thessalonians 1, 4 and 5, says this, For we know, brothers and sisters, loved by God, that he has chosen you, because our gospel came to you not simply with words, but also with power, with the Holy Spirit, and with what? With deep conviction. Yeah, deep conviction. Let me say this. That whenever God wants to do a deep work in a person's life, he does it through establishing a holy conviction that comes through the Holy Spirit. Right? Strong conviction is born of the Holy Spirit. Now, let me say this. Your convictions, my convictions, okay, all of us together here, your convictions, your convictions will be tested in at least two ways, okay, in at least two ways. And some of you know this more so than others. Your convictions will be tested in two ways. First, your convictions are tested under the pressure of other people. Your convictions are tested under the pressure of other people. So let me ask you a question, and don't worry, you don't have to answer out loud. When people around you don't share your beliefs, do you succumb to the crowd? Do your convictions waver to keep peace? Will you choose to follow your convictions or will you be crushed under the expectations and the norms of other people? It's a question, right? Second, your convictions are tested when you're alone. When you're alone. When you think no one is looking, right? It's like, hey, I can look at that image. I can, you know, do this, do that. No one's looking. But let me just say this. This is true for all of us. Integrity is the key to living out boldly our faith. So your, your convictions will be tested two different ways, publicly and privately. Will you, right, will you listen to your convictions or will you succumb to whatever your flesh desires? These, men were, these men's convictions were so powerful. Check this out, church, that they were willing to take the risk of being arrested again. That's crazy, right? Let's keep going in our story, though. The high priest in the Sanhedrin, they return to the jail because they're going to check up on the apostles. But, of course, they're not there, right? They're, they've been released. 
someone hears that they're back in the temple courts teaching. So they say, hey, they're over there. So then again, of course, the Sanhedrin and the rulers go to the temple, and once again, they seize the apostles, and they are made to appear before the Sanhedrin. So here they go again on trial before this, these religious rulers. Now notice what the Sanhedrin says. Let's skip down to verse number 28. It says this. This is the Sanhedrin speaking. We gave you strict orders not to teach in this name. Okay? Very clear. He said, yet you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching, or literally doctrine is the Greek word there, with your teaching and are determined to make us guilty of this man's blood. Talking about Jesus. Peter and the other apostles replied, we must obey God rather than human beings. The second way that we see the early church living out their faith with radical boldness is this. Their primary obedience was to God. Primary obedience was to God. What do you do when laws, policies, are at odds with your Christian faith? Well, here's what you do. Here's what Scripture tells us to do. We appeal to a higher law, and we obey God rather than man. We see this in Daniel chapter 3. This is one of the best examples that we have in Scripture, right? Daniel chapter 3, the, 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 the three Hebrew boys, the Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, right? The king, if you remember the story, the king, it's Babylon. Remember, Babylon is not just a geographical location. It's actually the spirit of Babylon lives today. It represents a society set up apart and against God, okay? Just so you know that. That's, and that's well agreed upon. Many scholars, by the way, that's just not me making up some sort of charismatic, you know I mean, way of looking at the text. Babylon represents, right, an age or spirit, a society set up against and apart God. And so here are these three Hebrew boys in Babylon. King Nebuchadnezzar has this giant statue made of gold. And he says, listen, when the harp plays, when the lyre plays, when the banjo does that little diddly thing, listen, everyone is going to bow down at this statue. Now, Daniel's like, well, here's the deal. We can't do that because we have a God. His name is Yahweh, and uh, that just won't fly. Daniel says, you know what? We have a God. We have a king, and he's not you, King Nebuchadnezzar. Notice what Daniel says here in Daniel 3, verses 16 through 18. It says this, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to him, King Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace the God we serve is able to deliver us from it, and he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. But even if he does not, we want you to know, your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. The, th the three Hebrew boys, I love this. This is amazing, you guys. Take note, take note, take note. They show the greatest amount of respect in their civil disobedience. They call him your majesty. He doesn't deserve that. And they're like, hey, your majesty, by the way, your majesty, we want you to know respectfully that we understand your laws, but we have our laws, and we will obey our king rather than you, right? 
I love this because they're not trying to create a raucous, they're not trying to grab the pitchforks and burn the city down. Here's what they're trying to do. They understand that their actions will speak for themselves. They refuse, listen, to obey the authorities for that would be in direct contradiction of God's law, specifically the first two commandments. Now, I know what some of you are thinking this morning. Yeah, but Marco, in today's culture, no one will make me bow down to a golden idol or a statue. I understand this. However, there are ideologies that demand acceptance or you risk being canceled or pushed to the margins. Rod Dreher speaks of this in his book, best-selling book, might I add, I read it last year, it's phenomenal, prophetic in so many ways, live not by lies. Dreher claims this, that there is a soft totalitarianism coming to America and coming quickly and that Christians must be ready to stand under difficulty. Okay? This is not a totalitarian state brought upon, brought on by, armed, by an armed revolution or gulags. No, this is much more subtle. Instead, this is a softer, more subtle form still aimed at controlling the masses. Do you see this? I see it. You see. Don't be offended by this. This is reality right now, by the way. I'm, I'm trying to be a good shepherd, and I want to make you aware of this, okay? Today's soft totalitarianism, listen, is not the same, though, okay? It's not the same as 20th century hard totalitarianism, but it has parallels, right, in terms of controlling ideology and making it difficult for those who don't agree with the culturally accepted picture of reality, i.e., what is truth. You have to see this, Right? I hope you do see this. And don't call me a conspiracy theorist, please. This is, I love, though, I love this book because Dreer doesn't say, hey, let's burn the city down. Dreer doesn't say, hey, let's pick up our pitchforks. Dreer doesn't say, hey, you know what, we're going to protest and we're going we're gonna, to, you know, and that, there's, a, there's, there's, a, there's a spot for that. I, I get it. There's a space for that. There's room for that. There's an occasion for that. But I love what Dreer says. Dreer makes resistance about continual obedience to God no matter what the consequences and a refusal to live by lies. So how do we resist? Here's what Drew says. Drew says this, intentional making of disciples. Listen, intentional making of disciples at home and in the local church. Parents, you need to make disciples at home. Home. I don't know how. Figure it out. It's time. Sarah is an amazing children's director. Carter, you can ask them. They will help you. My wife and I, right, we're learning all about this. We'll help you. There's no more room for excuses. You have, you can't, you have to be intentional. You can't pray. I hope they'll come. I hope, I hope they'll grow up with some belief in God. No, you must make disciples at home. And so you must teach your children what is truth, what and what is not reality. We're doing that with my daughter right now. She's seven years old, right? And I love this because, listen, when the culture wants you to live by lies, believers cling to the truth of God's, we live not by lies. Okay? That's our role. Resistance, what is obedience? 
Resistance is what? Making disciples in the church and at home. Let's bring this back to the book of Acts. The apostles say this, right? We must obey God rather than man. And this makes the Sanhedrin, they are furious, and they're ready to kill the apostles. Like, seriously, read it yourself. They're ready to kill the apostles. At that moment, a respected teacher of the law, he's a Pharisee. His name is Gamaliel. He steps into the picture. Quick side note for you Bible nerds, Gamaliel is the one who trained Saul before he became Paul. Yeah. So Gamaliel knew his stuff. He was brilliant. He was respected by many. He steps into the picture and says, whoa, boys, 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 boys. Slow down, slow down, slow down, slow down. Here's the deal. I want you to reassess what you're going to do with the apostles. Because here's the deal. There have been other people who have rose up. They have tried to make a name for themselves. They have tried to say that they were somebody, but they were killed, and their members were disbanded. So he mentions two different people in Jewish history that did that. He says, here's the thing. If this does not have its origins in God, eventually it will fail. He says this, though. However, <laughs> if this is of God, you might just find yourself fighting against God himself. This is fascinating, brilliant. Like, Luke, in this instance, uses the Greek word theamakos, okay? Now, I'm going to nerd out for just a moment. Here, bear with me. Theamakos means this. It's literally a compound word. Theos and makamai. Makamai means to fight or physically fight. And of course, theos, theos means what? God, right? He puts those words together. It's the only time in the New Testament that word shows up. It literally means you'll find yourself in a physical fight with God. And can I just say this? If you pick a fight with God, you're going to lose, right? That's his point. He's like, you literally might find yourself fighting God. That's not wise. So he says, just ease up, boys. Take consideration what you will do with these guys, right? Let's go to verse 40. Is this not amazing, you guys? This story is so good. Okay. People say the Bible's boring. Oh, my gosh, no way. All right. I just don't like to read my Bible. Oh, my gosh, come on. Wake up, wake up, wake up. All right, <laughs> sorry. All right, verse number 40, listen. He, his speech persuaded them. That's Gamaliel's speech, okay? They called the apostles in and had them flogged. Think of Jesus scourging, right, where they rip shreds off of your back. This is what happens to the apostles. Then they ordered them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. The apostles left the Sanhedrin. Here's what they're doing rejoicing, <laughs> rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name. Day after day in the temple courts and from house to house, they what? They never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Messiah. Man. Finally, here's the, the third way that we see the, the apostles live out their faith radically, okay? Number three, they were unafraid to suffer for their Savior. This is serious, y'all. Unafraid. I'm, 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 I'm at lashes, right? Scourging. How many, Marco? 39 of them. How do you know? Uh, Deuteronomy 
25, verse 3, you can read it yourself. Mosaic law, those who were guilty under the law received the 40 lashes minus the one. Why? Because they thought that 40 lashes would be too many, so they would do one less. Here's what they're doing. Afterwards, they're rejoicing. Think of, think of the insanity of that. They're rejoicing. Like literally taking upon this posture of joy, this is what they're doing. They continue to teach and proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ. Here's what Peter says. Sobering words, by the way. Get ready. 1 Peter 2, 21 says this. To this you were called because, because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. I don't know if we can grasp those words. First Peter chapter 3, Peter says this, even if you suffer for doing good, you are blessed. You're blessed. In today's culture, most people in general, listen, most people in general are unprepared to suffer, and Christians are no exception. Right? Again, listen, Rod Dreher from Live Not By Lies is helpful. Here's what he writes. He says this, relatively few contemporary Christians are prepared to suffer for the faith because a therapeutic society that has formed them denies the purpose of suffering in the first place, and the idea of bearing pain for the sake of truth seems ridiculous. Seems silly. A lot of Christians, they say, oh, it can't happen today. No, that, that's what we're seeing right now. No, that's never going to happen. No, no. You know, whoa, 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 whoa. It is happening right underneath your eyes. Like, it's happening. Like, and I'm not an alarmist, but let's just be aware. Let's say, hey, okay, it's happening. I'm, I'm so grateful for a pastor who tells me this stuff is happening. All right. If we too, listen, if we're going to have boldness, listen, it includes being unafraid to suffer for our Savior, which is, I don't, like, I, I, I'm troubled by those words, and you should be too. Right? Suffering for Jesus. I want to bring this message to a close now. While this message includes evangelism, the primary thrust of the message is not evangelism for us today, boldness. I'm not going to end the message by giving you five ways to evangelize your friends. That's another, that, that's another sermon, a different time, okay? But what I do want to talk about is this idea of boldness for just a few more moments, okay? And what I want to do rather is I simply want to ask some probing questions for myself included. And we're going to allow the Holy Spirit to search our hearts, to search our hearts. And I'm going to leave you with that. And I believe that the good work that God began in you here in this place, he'll continue it on as you walk through those doors out to lunch. So let's look at those three reasons very briefly. Number one, are you living with deep are you living with a deep conviction, okay? Both in public and privately. You're not answering to me. You're not answering to your spouse, not even right now, but you're answering to God. Are you willing to make bold choices in front of other people when it might cost you something? Or do you find yourself compromising, 
your faith to please others and to simply go along with the crowd. I want you to live, church, with deep conviction. In first service, I felt the Holy Spirit highlight this for me. If you're a 20-something, 19, 18, 20, whatever it is, and you're on your way to college, you are in college, young people, listen to me today. Listen, I want you to live a life with a deep conviction for the things of God. Because I, I, I understand that campuses and, and schools right now, I get it, there, there's all sorts of things coming through the pipeline and ideologies, that's where you're hit the most right now. Listen, I want you to live a life with a deep conviction for the things of God. You're, you're willing to be unpopular. You're willing to not fit in with the rest of the crowd. You're willing to stand out by simply saying, no, I won't do that. No, I won't believe that. I'll go this way. It doesn't mean you start a riot. It doesn't mean you take up a pitchfork. It doesn't mean you burn the campus down. It means that you simply say, no, I will resist. And I'm going to go this way, right? Young people, will you live with a deep conviction of God in your life? That, this is for all of us right now. The second question I have, listen, is your primary obedience to God or is it to man, right? Is your primary obedience to God or is it to man? Listen, are you one who refuses to live by lies, right? This is the way that we resist. We just simply say, I'm, I'm not going to live by lies. I'm not going to live by lies. I'm going to live by the truth. And that as people of God, we need to be in search of the truth in everything. Nothing wrong with that. We're people of truth. That's who we are. We want the truth on everything, all issues in life, everything in our world. We, we're seeking truth. We're not seeking to appease a political party on the right or on the left. Listen, we're saying we want the truth wherever we land. We want truth. That's who we are. We're the people of God. Come on, can I get an amen today for that, right? The people of God are seeking truth no matter what the situation is. Scenario, circumstance, issue, law, we want the truth. You should want the truth no matter where it ends or you end up, okay? Are you obedient to God primarily or to man? And then finally, number three, this is the toughest question of them all, you guys. Are you willing to suffer for Jesus? This is, are you willing to suffer for Jesus? This is the hardest one. Because I know for some of you that means you might lose a job. I know, it's serious, I, I get that. Are you willing to suffer for Jesus? Peter says it very clearly, right? He, he suffered for us and he left us an example that we might also do the same. I don't know how to grasp those words, truly, because we live a life that is so bent on comfort. Do we not? Westerners, right, we want everything to be comfortable. We, we, if it's too hot, we turn the air on. If it's too cold, we turn the heat on. If it's a battery recliner, we throw it out and buy a new one, right? <laughs> we want everything to be as comfortable as possible. I do it too, so I'm not, I'm not trying to even play around like I know I do it, okay? This is so mine, I, I, I'm, I'm just gonna, I'm, I don't even know what to say. This is so, these, these words from Peter are so sobering to me. Am I willing to suffer for Jesus? So for the next couple of moments, we're almost done here. James is gonna play, I'm gonna pray. You don't have to answer to anyone but God right now, okay? So bow your heads, let's bow our heads. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, we invite you right now to come in this place. This is, not a, this is not a message of condemnation. So Lord, I pray that none of my brothers or sisters would feel that way. But Lord, would you search our hearts right now? God, are we willing to live a life with a deep conviction for the things of God? God, would you search our hearts right now? Holy Spirit, come. 
Come illuminate right now. Are we willing to live with a deep conviction? Or do, do we find ourselves compromising? Do we find ourselves uh, adhering to the sexual ethic of our day? Or are we living with a deep conviction for the things of God? Spirit, search our hearts. Holy Spirit, would you show us, are we being primarily obedient to man or, or, or are we being primarily obedient to you? God, we need radical boldness to be obedient to you first, primary, God. So Lord, I ask for myself and for my brothers and sisters that you would give us this radical boldness. Finally, God, we ask ourselves, are we willing to suffer for Jesus, Lord? God, I can't answer that for anyone. Only you can show them, Lord. I have to answer for myself just as much as my brothers and sisters have to do the same. Are we willing to truly suffer? And right now, I just pray right now for Radiant Church. I, I, I pray right now for my leaders on the leadership team. I pray that they would not succumb to being popular, they would not succumb to being liked by the people, but they would be bold, radically bold in their faith, that they would not live passively, but they would live for truth. It doesn't mean burning the city down. It doesn't mean taking up a pitchfork. It just simply means standing for what is true. God, I pray for leaders, first and foremost, in my church, in our church, God. Lord, I pray secondarily for, for Team Radiant, those who serve in the church here. God, would you fill them with boldness, radical boldness. God, it's a boldness that I can't give them. It only comes by you and from you, God. Would you fill them with boldness, God, to proclaim your word, not to fight with people, not to argue, not to hate, not at all. Lord, we're called to love, God. Give us boldness to love those who are different from us, boldness to live in truth, God, boldness to walk out our faith, God. Would you do that? Finally, God, I pray for the rest of Radiant Church, those who call Radiant their home. Lord, would you give them radical boldness for the day and the age that we find ourselves in right now. Those people watching online, would you give them boldness to walk in the truth, God, no matter what might come. God, we know, we know that persecution will come. We already know that. It's stated in Scripture, God. Help us, God. Encourage our hearts, God. Give us radical fearlessness, God, so that we might suffer for your name's sake, God. God, and in the end, Lord, that we might rejoice. And in our humble disobedience to culture, God, that so many others would find hope in the name of Jesus Christ. So, God, do it right now for us. I can't do it. I wish I could. But only you can, God. Fill us with your spirit boldness to live for you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.